worthy living, uh, called to his kingdom and his glory. We are in 1 Thessalonians. And put our key verse up there. I'm sorry, I got out of order, didn't I? Uh, Danny's back there. Come on, Brent. Go in order. I give her notes and then I don't go by my notes. Uh, key verse. I want you to read this out loud with me. Here we go. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Pretty fantastic. I'm loving 1 Thessalonians more and more as we go through it. We're beginning chapter 4 today, so if you want to start looking for chapter 4, in your Bibles, please do. Chapter 4 is going to be a little more uh, applicable instruction than what we've been in previously. Sometimes uh, application in Scripture is a little bit vague. Uh, we've talked a lot about in 1 Corinthians how Paul loves them, and we kind of have to reach for the application of how that works with us. Um, However, uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, what we just read, he's instructed us to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. So it brings up the question, how? Precisely how do I live my life in a way that God would consider worthy? That's a great question. I mean, he's challenging us. He's, he's urging, encouraging, pleading with us to live our lives in a way that uh, pleases God, that is worthy of our calling. So how? So Paul is going to give us some specific answers to how we live our lives in a way that God would, would consider worthy here in chapter 4. And we're going to start off with holy sex. I, I, did not, I do not write this. I just read it. Don't shoot the messenger. Uh, I had a guy tell me one time that sex is not an appropriate topic in church. I said, well, you have to take that up with God because he's the one that wrote the book. I just teach it. I don't come up with it. So uh, uh, we're taking on a topic here this morning that is not politically motivated. I teach the next verse. That's what I do. Okay? I'm just put the qualifier out there. Um, Holy sex. I had to wait until my mom was out of town to use that title. She's in, she's in Belleville, Illinois with my sister and brother-in-law today. Uh, so uh, it'll be a while before she calls me up. Brant, I can't believe you did that. It'll be something along the lines of, would your dad have done that? No, my dad wouldn't have done that. My dad was, a, was very proper. Here we go. Holy sex. Uh, number one, live to please God. In verse one, Paul of, of chapter four, we're going to get there in a second. In verse one, Paul is simply going to reestablish the purpose of this letter. Now, back in chapter one of First Thessalonians, Paul began his case. He is making his case with this group of Thessalonians to tell them, basically, you are God's people. He says things like, starting in verse 4, he says, we know that God loves you. That's what he writes to them. We know that God loves you. We know that God has chosen you to be his people. The Holy Spirit, he goes on to say, the Holy Spirit has given full assurance of the truth of the gospel in your lives. He's basically, to summarize chapter 1, he says, it is obvious that God is the one at work in you and through you. And because of that, 
because we, can, we know that God is the one at work. He loves you. He's, he has chosen you. Because God is at work in you, then live your lives to please God. Don't live your lives to please people. And surely don't live your life to, to uh, please your own sin-filled nature. That's not what you're supposed to be doing either. That's kind of abrupt, isn't it? Because our, at the center of me is me. And we all tend to be humanistic. We want to live about myself. And then God comes along and says, actually, don't live to please yourself. Live to please God the Father. So here we go, chapter 4. I hope you're staying with me. We're just setting it up. We're going to get to the good part here in just a second. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, finally... Big transition right here in the text because up until now, he's just been telling them, you guys are wonderful. I love you. I miss you. I want to come see you. Can't wait to see you again. Now he's kind of getting to the, the instructive part of this letter. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you. Have we seen that word urge before? Yeah, in, in chapter 2, verse 12. We urge you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, he adds this weightiness, we'll talk about it in a minute, to live in a way that, what? Pleases God. Just as we have taught you. You live this way already, that's going to be important, and we encourage you, we've seen that before too, to do so even more. Now there are things, listen carefully, watch this, there are things that please God and there are things that do not please God. For some of you that comes as a shock. Really? I realize how rudimentary that must sound, but too often people who call themselves Christian have... Everybody's being very careful now because you're like, we don't know where Brent's going with this. Every once in a while, people who call themselves Christian have no idea of the actions and the attitudes that please God and the actions and attitudes that do not please God. That's why I say there are some things that please God and there are things that do not please God. The scripture instructs us on how to live to please God. The things we should do to please God. When you conjure up your own ideas, watch this, they're going to be fine. I'm the show. <laughs> it's okay. When we conjure up, when you conjure up your own ideas of what pleases God, are you with me? When you lay in bed at night and you think, oh, this is what I'm going to do because it's going to make God happy. You are likely to make a mistake. I have a great illustration. Men get married, and we want to do something to please our wives, so we buy them the finest lawnmower at Lowe's. It was great! And she's like, we do the same thing with God. I'm going to make God so happy. And he's like, I really actually told you what I wanted, and you didn't do what I asked you. Are you with me? Sorry, guys, you just got thrown under the bus. Women do the same thing to guys sometimes, too. 
God tells us in his word how to live to please him. Our job is to listen and obey. It is not our job to dream up for ourselves what we think should please God. Uh, the reason I make an issue of this is because I, I, I see, I'm watching. My perspective is that our Christian culture is, is going that way very quickly. We don't need to read what God says to do to impress Him and to please Him. We can just think it up on our own because we're inherently basically good. No, you're not. Okay? So it's not our job to dream up for ourselves what we think should please God. So Paul says, he says, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We urge you. There's a sense of urgency about this topic. Other translation says, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. He, he adds this in the Lord Jesus or by the name of the Lord Jesus. It is, it is to add weightiness to it. It is by all of the nature and the being of the Lord Jesus that is, a made, that is made available to you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch all that? I mean, that's why he says in the name of Jesus, because that's shorter than what I just read. But that's basically the underlying meaning. He says, we urge you, we urge you by all of the nature and the being of the Lord Jesus that is made available to you through the presence of the Holy Spirit, live in a way that pleases God! Exclamation point. He's serious. He's urgent about this. We have chosen here at Desert Heights to use the word admonish instead of urge. Uh, we say admonish in the sense of strongly encouraging people to grow spiritually. We're urging them. We're admonishing them to not grow stagnant in yesterday's faith, but to continue to read God's word and grow and obey and, and continue on in, their, in, their, in your faith relationship with Christ. So notice also in this text, I'm moving on by the way. This is not a reproof or a correction. Paul is not correcting bad behavior among the Thessalonian people. In fact, he is pleased, because he's told us previously in the, in the book, that he is pleased that they have already been living to please God. But the issue is this sense of urgency that he is writing to encourage them to do so even more. You're doing great. News of your love is spreading all over the region, but you can do better. Contend to continue to improve your living to please God. Does that make sense to you? Oh, good. <laughs> A little nervous there for a second. As we go along in our spiritual lives, it's easy to get comfortable, right? I was raised in a preacher's home. Uh, I got saved early on in life. It's, it would be easy for me to say, you know, I, I think I've kind of got this. I belong to God. I'm sure he's pleased with me. <laughs> As I preach a sermon titled, Holy Sex. I'm saved. I'm a good person. Good enough, Right? I've been saved for a while. Brent, if you knew the garbage that I came from and you know where I am now, you would be impressed. God would be impressed. God would be pleased. Good enough. Let's rest. And Paul is saying, no, do so even more to please God. 
to live to please God. Just think when, uh, when, uh, just when you think you are living to please God is a good time for you to take a long look in the mirror of God's word to see what dirt is on your face. That's what James tells us to do. Okay? So verse 1, now we're going to move on. Verse 2, he says, For you remember what we taught you. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, when they were there in Thessalonica. You remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now, evidently, Paul had given the Thessalonians uh, specific instructions about how to live to please God. God does not tell us to live to please Him and and then leave us to guess how to live to please Him. God has given us the instructions That is why we constantly push people to read their Bibles, to get involved in doing soap, have a daily plan for not only reading Scripture, but for reacting to Scripture as well, responding to Scripture. Get involved in life groups. God tells us what He desires. It's our job to read it and then to obey it. Amen, Brent. That's good. Yes, it is. Thank you for being with me. Yeah. That's, was that new information? Are you having to think about that, process it? So wait, we're supposed to read Scripture and then do what it says, and that pleases God? Exactly. Exactly. Maybe we could put that on a card. Step one, read Scripture. Step two, obey Scripture. Three, the result is you please God. It's a recipe for success. Oh, Lord, help us. Paul, in this passage in chapter 4, he is making his point from general to specific. We've talked about this with Paul before. He often makes broad statements like live to please God, and then he makes it a little more specific, and then he's going to be real specific here in a second, okay? So he said, first he tells us to live to please God, and then second, number two, he says, be holy. Be holy. Another one of my favorite scriptures uh, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Here we go. And it is because everybody is looking for God's will, right? Just trying to find God's will for my life. Guess what is in scripture? You read it, and you find God's will. And then you obey it. And then God is pleased. <gasps> it's magic. This is a very difficult job I have. Uh, so here we go. God's will... Here we go. I'm going to tell you what God's will is for you. Actually, Scripture is going to tell you what God's will. God's will is for you to be holy. That's where I got that snappy title from, be holy. Point number two, be holy. God's will for you is for you to be holy. So stay away from, it's a complicated Greek word here, all Are you okay with that? Do we need to explain it? Small word trips us up all the time. All sexual sin. And in the Greek, the word all, it means all. (laughs) Remember, because I've taught this many times and it bears repeating because we just have to get this in our brains, that the word holy, it means that you are set apart from and you are set apart to. Okay? 
We're set apart from and we're set apart to. It has this double meaning, right? So the children of God are set apart from sin, right? That's good. But we're also set, we're not set apart from sin to a vacuum. We're set apart from sin to the holiness of God the Father. Boom, jagalaga. We are not set apart from sin to be amoral. No, we are set apart from sin to be perfectly holy as God is holy. <gasps> That's cool. That's really, really, really cool. Specifically, watch this, believers, Christians, hopefully that's all of us, we are set apart from all sexual sin and we're set apart to God's holiness, holy sex. If you've been around for very long, I mean like if you're older than me, if you're the same age as me, if you've been around church very long, you were in church when sex was bad. Very, very bad. You don't say that. And we don't do that. We have 12 kids, but we don't do that. I don't. I don't understand. I, I was raised the rebellious preacher's kid that was like, Wait a second, that doesn't make sense. I was raised in an era, and some of you have been around the church era where we don't talk about sex at church, and we didn't. And so then the world talked about it. Guess who got their opinion out there? God creates sex to be wonderful and beautiful and holy. The church wouldn't talk about it, so the world did. We lost it. And now even the church has adopted to some degree. I think we're getting away from it. We are this morning. The idea that we can't talk about sex. Are you kidding? I think we should more. Stick to your notes, Brent. We as believers are set apart from sexual sin to God's holiness. God does not set us apart from sex. He does set us apart from sexual sin. Okay? I'm not villainizing sex. Verse 3 is very simple here. It provides us with a foundation for what he's going to do in the next few verses. God's will for you is for you to be holy. Set apart from sin. Set apart to God's holiness. That is not difficult to comprehend. We, I'm assuming all of us, we want God's will. Is that true? Amen? Yes. We want God's will in our lives. We ask for God's will. We pray, God, let your will be done in our lives. And God's will, he explicitly tells us, is for us to be holy. We want God's will. God's will is for us to be holy. So we want to be holy. We want to live a life that pleases him. And we do that by being holy. Set apart from sexual sin to God's Holy sex. Here is where the war of wills collide. Does that ever happen at your house? Okay. Not at my house either then. Uh, God's will for you to be holy and God's will is for you to be holy and for you to avoid all sexual sin. That's clear. 
The sinful nature's will, see I'm making this a third entity, it's not you, it's your sinful nature. Kind of softens the blow a little bit, but what I'm really saying is you. (laughs) The sinful nature known as you, your will is to be gratified immediately. There is no consideration for what pleases God. Are you with me? Do I have to explain that in detail? Do I need to draw a picture? In verse 1, Paul says, We urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. It pleases God for you to be holy, and we do that. One aspect of that is to avoid all sexual sin. Have you got your brain around that? Do you want to please God? Yes. Do you want to be holy? Do you want to avoid all sexual sin? Don't answer that. But you see what I'm saying? Okay? Paul goes on. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse, uh, verse 4. We're going to look at verse 4 and verse 5 together. Then, so he says, avoid all sexual sin. Then, kind of how, then each of you will control his own body. I think it's funny that he puts it in mail there. He could have said, then the men will control, control their hormones. It's not just the men, though. Then each of you, all of you, will control his own body and live in holiness and Honor and the holiness has to do with how how our, holiness has to do with our relationship with God. Honor has to do with how we are our relationship with other people. We're honoring to other people by controlling our own bodies. That's pretty cool, huh? How God did that. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness towards God and honor towards one another, not in lustful passion like the pagans. Notice the contrast there. I'm not going to make a big deal of it, but it is there. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. You see, the sinful, selfish nature says... This is my body. I have the right to control my own body however I choose. My body. Are you following me? There's a little between the lines there. My body. I can do with it whatever I want. However... The creator of your body has something to say. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm not going to put it on the screen because I want you, sometimes whenever we put things on the screen, you're reading and thinking about that instead of what I'm saying. So I want you you to focus on the scripture that I'm about to read. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17, write it in your notes, you look it up later. He says, but the person who is joined to the Lord in one spirit Pardon me. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You got your brain around that? That's, that's cool. The person, hopefully that's us, the, the believer, who is joined to the Lord is how many? One in spirit. Our spirit is joined with the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's magical. 
but that's what God does. It's supernatural what God does with us at salvation, how he blends him and you together. The person who is joined to the Lord is one with him in spirit, or is one spirit with him. I want you to internalize that. Paul, back to the the scripture that we have here on verse 4, Paul is contrasting the behavior of those who know God, who are joined to the Lord, who are one spirit with him. He's contrasting those people who have this intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as opposed to pagans who do not know him and how they behave. Are you with me? Verse 18 He says, run from sexual sin, exclamation point. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Verse 19. Don't you realize, Paul is here to the Corinthians, don't you realize He's being nice and not saying, are you, you're not stupid, are you? This is why we send the kids to the other room. Some people think we have children's church because the kids cry in here. It's not. It's because I say things that I shouldn't, that they should not pick up. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you realize that those who are believers have become one spirit with the Lord? You're joined with Him? And you can't separate that when you're having sinful sex. Amen, Brent. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Got that? You do not belong to yourself. Look it up. That's what it says. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, you do not belong to yourself. Well, yes, I do. No, you don't. Everything in Scripture tells us. Oh, that's a whole other sermon. You do not belong to yourself. For God, verse 20, for those who are believers, we will respect and honor this. If you're not a believer, you don't care. Verse 20, he says, for God, everyone say God. God bought you with a high price. What was the high price? The blood of his very own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, purchased your sorry body. So you must, is what he says, so you must honor God with your body. And it's in the context of sex. As a child of God, your body was bought with a high price. It belongs to God. It is not your own body to do whatever you want to do with it. You have been joined with the Lord to be one spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who resides in you. You do not belong to yourself. You must honor God with your body. If if you are going to live to please God... You must be holy. And if you're going to be holy, you must stay away from all sexual sin. 
So how are we going to start this process of being holier? It's not really start. How are we going to participate in all that there is in being holy? Is by avoiding all sexual sin. Now, we've not been specific enough yet. We could spend weeks talking about how our culture has deviated into sexual sin and the church is kind of turning a blind eye to it and being like, it's not that big of a deal. So I'm going to hit the highlights, but I'm going to keep going. And if you have questions, I really encourage you, talk to me about it. Uh, because there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things going on here that I just don't have time to unpack in Sunday morning service. So I'm going to hit the highlights, okay? Uh, sexual sins that, that the church is, uh, is, well, that's happening in our, our society. Let's, let's draw it really broad. Contemporary sexual issues is what I titled this. Pornography. I forget the numbers. It's ridiculous. They're like one in four guys are, are involved in pornography in the church. Uh, we, we can make all kinds of excuses as to why it's not a big deal. Paul says, if you want to live to please God, you have to be holy. If you're going to be holy, you have to avoid all sexual sin. The Greek word there is all. So men, we have this way, and women, women can, they, they do get involved in pornography as well, but generally it's men. Men are just, it's terrible, the availability of pornography to our lives. So we make all of these excuses as to why that doesn't apply to me. And now why, why is my, my relationship with my wife not exactly right? And uh, pornography, it's a sexual sin, okay? When you're lusting after a woman that's not your, your wife, uh, it's a sexual sin. Uh, premarital sex. I got to tell you, it's uh, just in the church now. It's, it's become commonplace. It's becoming more commonplace, uh, uncomfortably common. The, the world, the TV, Hollywood, has made uh, sex outside of marriage, premarital sex, normal. And I'm telling you, uh, what we are doing uh, is we are predisposing young people to have bad sex in marriage. Because God didn't design it for outside of marriage. He designed sex to be holy and wonderful and perfect. And then whenever we abuse it, it doesn't work correctly. And premarital sex is one of those things that is damaging to the holiness of sex later on in marriage. Infidelity, having uh, sex outside of marriage or having sex with someone who is not your spouse when you are married. Uh, here again, normalizing it. And, and so what is frustrating to me is you watch TV and, and premarital sex, pornography, even infidelity uh, in, in all of our sitcoms is it's a joke and it's funny and nobody ever gets hurt. Then Alan Jackson sang a song, but here in the real world, it's not that easy at all. Oh yeah, a little country music theology. That's good. <laughs> here in the real world, that ain't cool. Ask Hosea. Okay? And then of course you know that I'm going to hit homosexuality. That uh, it's wrong. The scripture Scripture defines uh, homosexuality as being a sin, okay? So listen to me carefully. God made us sexual beings. <laughs> I can just hear all the, the people from my past, all those preachers that I grew up with. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. He did. The first thing he tells Adam and Eve to do is go and multiply. Fill the earth. Hey! Yes! I love you, Lord! You follow? He also gave us parameters for holy sex. 
He gave us parameters. Outside of those parameters, it doesn't work. It's kind of like if you buy a car that is designed for the highway and you drive it in the mud, it doesn't work. You with me? So if I drive my Acura in the mud and it gets stuck really quick, do I call Acura and say, your car is terrible? No, because they would say, you're a moron. (laughs) Yet whenever it comes to sex, we're like, I can do whatever I want with my body. And then when we tear it up, we say, well, it's God's fault. (laughs) No, no. God also designed us to breathe, to inhale and exhale. But if you stick your face in water and inhale and consequently drown, you don't claim that God is not fair. Well, he didn't give me gills. No, he didn't. Moron. Sorry, we should have put a disclaimer on this. This message is not G-rated, not for your kids. You cannot embrace pornography and expect life to be good or God to be pleased. You cannot be involved in sex outside of marriage and expect to have a good marriage or expect God to be pleased. You, did y'all get that? I didn't feel like it hit home yet. You cannot be involved in a homosexual relationship and expect to feel complete or expect God to be pleased. So here's my summary. It is not God's will for you to participate in sexual sin. It is God's will for you to be holy. God takes sin seriously. I'm looking for a page number while I'm reading. 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. I got to hurry up. We're going to talk about uh, life groups here in just a minute. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such. Did you hear that? For the Lord avenges. Oh, not Jesus. He just always loves us no matter what kind of crap we do. I don't know that I can say that on Sunday morning either. Josh, we have lots of editing to do on this message before it goes anywhere. Uh, I'm kidding. The Lord avenges all of this. So if you think you're getting by with it, oh, are you a knucklehead. The Lord avenges all of this as we have solemnly warned you before. Here's the deal. Sexual sins violate community. Sex is sacred. Even among unbelievers. I love this. Because we can say, oh, in the church you're just trying to be all high and mighty. Take the issue of sexual sin out of the church into the community. And I guarantee you, the most unbelieving couple, whenever he cheats on her, it hurts and it breaks the relationship. It damages the relationship. It does. You can say it doesn't, but it does. Hang around with people. Sin always damages relationship. It messes up community. It violates community. Sexual sin damages relationships. It damages community. It damages family. It damages churches. And that is why it says here in our scripture, the Lord avenges all such sins because they're damaging everybody. What you do is a sin against your own body, but it's a sin against your your immediate family. It's a sin against your church. It's a sin against your community. You're thinking in your mind, oh, Brent, it's really not that big of a deal. It was just one time. We were just being curious. It just, 
it just happened. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Nobody knows, so it doesn't affect anybody. Paul says, we have solemnly warned you that your sexual sin will destroy your relationship with people and it will destroy your relationship with God. And he will avenge it. We're moving on. Number three, rejecting God. Rejecting God. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 7, he says, God has called us to live holy lives. He's already told us that. What is the will of God? That we be holy. He's called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God. Do you see the contrast? Anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We have made sexual issues in our society, we have made them a matter of, an, of opinion, and they are up for debate. Pornography, we're, we're beyond the debate. It, debate. It, is, it is normalized. Premarital sex is, uh, to some degree, expected, largely expected. Adultery is more and more, uh, it is, pardon me, adultery is more of a moral hiccup than it is a sin against the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Homosexuality and gender identity are curiously up for debate even in churches. I just, there's probably nothing more disturbing in this whole message than that statement right there. That homosexuality and the gender identity issue is up for debate in churches. I expect it in the world. They're, they're confused. They're lost. They're not reading the instruction book. So why would they know what they're supposed to be doing? But for the church to be debating this? Come on. So let me say this as clear as I possibly can. So that you don't misunderstand what I mean. This is why I wanted this recorded. Be very clear, crystal clear. Okay, watch. Those who choose to participate in sexual sin, they are not rejecting Brent. They're not rejecting a philosophy. They're not even rejecting a, an extreme religious opinion. They are rejecting God. There's no justification. There's no exceptions. When you're involved in sexual sin, you are rejecting God. You cannot live to please God and simultaneously live in sexual sin. The scriptures are clear. We are to be holy, set apart from sexual sin to holy sex. Are you with me? It's not a joke anymore, is it? If you're living in sexual sin, I have one word. Stop. Stop. You can ask God for forgiveness. Let me back up for half a second. I say stop. Don't make excuses. Don't make justifications. Don't rationalize your sexual sin. Stop 
That's all there is to do. You cannot explain why your, why your sin is rational to a holy God. You can't. So stop. Now, I'm being compassionate here because I've, I've been around people who have sexual addictions or, or whatever. They're in a weird situation in life. And, and so I can be compassionate. I will be patient. And I believe that God is compassionate and patient, patient. But it does not change the fact that those who have been made one in spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ will not be drug in to your illicit sexual encounters. Are you with me? We do not bring the holiness of God the Father in heaven to your sinful sexual bed. Don't do it. Shame on you for thinking you can. That wasn't in my notes. I was going to be patient and and kind, huh? Stop. Ask God to forgive you. To give you strength to live in the way that pleases Him. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask for strength. Use wisdom in removing temptation. I'm giving you time to think about that. Ask someone to hold you accountable. You may struggle with that temptation. There's no sin in being tempted. We're all going to be tempted in various degrees and various things. So you struggle with that temptation, but, does that, but that does not change the fact that those who participate, that participate in sexual sin are rejecting God. Are you with me? We don't get to straddle a fence. There's no fence to be straddled. We are either in sin or we are Holy as God is holy. We don't get to go in between. Well, Brent, my sin is justified. Your sin is justified. You're a sinner. You are, everything in you is wired to sin and to reject God because of the fall of mankind. That's your only justification for sin. And it is strictly because of that that God the Father had to send His Son to die on the cross so that His blood would be shed for the forgiveness of your sin and that he would rise from the dead so that his Holy Spirit, eternally alive, would be united with you and give you eternal life. It is because you are a sinner that we need Jesus, and we need to be set free from that sin to the holiness of God the Father. Does that make sense? This is not a gray area. It should not be a gray area in the church. It should not be a gray area politically. Scripture is abundantly clear about sexual sin. I'm trying to figure out a way to close this so that we can go to life groups because this is really smooth right here. (laughs) We will be compassionate with those who are involved in sin. We will be kind. But we will also point them towards Jesus because it's only by Jesus that they'll be delivered. Are you with me? I'm always available to visit. If you don't have my phone number, email me at brent at desertheightschurch.com. I will either call you back. If you give me a phone number, I will call you back. I may email you because sometimes conversations via email are better thought out. Uh, let's pray together. Father, just thank you, for, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that no matter where we're at in our lives and our failures, that we can turn our hearts towards you. You forgive us. You redeem us. You transform our hearts. You set us free from sin. Lord, 
I'm, I'm making an assumption that not all of us here this morning are living absolutely in the holiness of sex that you've called us to. So Lord, I'm praying for all of us that you would put it in our hearts, that we would be convicted, that we would be reminded that by your Holy Spirit, you are ever present in our lives and that we would not want to violate your holiness by our sinfulness. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to put it in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would hold us accountable on a daily, on a moment-to-moment basis of how we think about the opposite sex, how we think about sex, how we act upon sex. Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts, that you would set us free from the trap of sexual sin. Lord, that we can be free to live in your holiness and to enjoy the beauty of sex that you intended for us. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, set us free. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.